On the north side of Chicago It's the coolest bar in town And if you go up there You better just beware You're gonna find a bunch of clowns It's a mad, mad, crazy bar The whole damn place is just so bizarre Full of all the vice and sin where do we even begin? Tip your bartenders. Hello, everyone. This is Pub Crawl Liz. And this is... Uh, the, the guy across from me is someone who thinks he's a genius. Thinks? You know, that, that's interesting. <laughs> As I look around this bar, it's, a, it's kind of a... A small, iconic museum, art museum. Agreed. And I, yeah. So, thinks he's a genius. Um, and I'm looking across at two boxers on the wall. Yeah. We're up in the we're up in the window. And uh, sometime, someday, I'd like to talk about the two boxers I painted. Well, we're going to talk about it tonight. Okay. Um, thanks for joining us in another episode of As the Little House Turns. I hope you all had a great. Uh, Christmas holiday. Hey, did the uh, did Santa Claus treat you well, Bruce? You know, Santa Claus won't come anywhere near my house. I'll tell you why. I explained to my daughter when she was just a little youngster, like second grader or something like that. I, she said, "Daddy, is there a, really a Santa Claus?" I said, "No, no. But if there was, I would beat his brains in if he came down the chimney." She said, "Well, why, Daddy?" I said, "Because he doesn't bring presents to poor kids." So she went to school and told the kids, and the teacher said, Mr. Elliott, I don't think you really should be, you know, saying that you're going to beat up Santa Claus. I don't think that's a nice thing to say. I I forget the exact details, but, um, yeah. Oh, that's that's nice parenting on your part. Santa stays clear of me. Okay, well, I guess you did not have a good Christmas. I hope. No, I, I hope. I'm uh, sure. I'm sure I did. <laughs> I hope. Uh, I hope Rock and Roll Ruth and like the present you got her. That's still under. <laughs> okay, yeah. so um, that, that's uh, to be determined. I, 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 okay, this is becoming more complicated. Okay, well, um, I uh, one of the things that you are known for uh, in the bar. And in other places, is your it's painting my kindness, my generosity, my wit? Okay, and your painting, and my painting. So I wanted to uh, maybe try to dedicate a show to your artwork, um, and talk a little bit about uh, your early uh, beginnings uh, as a as a painter and your inspirations and some of the artwork in the bar. And some of the things you're uh, currently focused on right now. Um, so, when was the first time you put a brush to something? Well, ever since I was besides a, your teeth. That was the one. As a as a child, I was I was a huge disappointment to my parents as a child, and I think as what? as an adult, it was also kind of a bit of a disappointment. Is it because you talk back I all certainly, the time? I certainly. not well. That and just so many other things. Um, I I had character flaws as a child. Now, part of part of the or adult or an adult. <laughs> part part of my problems were that um, because I was an Irish twin, 
I didn't even know what that term was until um, younger or killed. older. I'm ten months older than my brother, okay. my fat brother. Scott. Which brother, Scott? Yeah. And um, who gets fatter and fatter? Why do you got to refer to him that way, by the way? Because he's so fat. Because he's so fat. Why can't you say my brother Scott, my younger brother Scott? Because he's huge fat. Who cares? I care. Why? Because when you get in a fight with him, he's got 100 pounds on you. You've got to be really, you know, you can't let him get on top of you. It's a big factor. And he he was, see, if my parents would have said, taking us as children, said, look, your brother Scott is bipolar. See, we didn't know what that fucking was. Right? We didn't even know what manic depressive was or any of that stuff. But they always said he has a very serious mental condition, um, and so you just have to give him a little. Leave. I, 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 I did. You know, we just, I just thought he was an asshole, and um, so we had these epic fights because he had absolutely. My father had hair trigger temper in those days too. My brother inherited that. We all have tempers, but Scott's was just, out, you know, out of, not quite like my father. And uh, because he was so um, beefy, let's use that term. Um, Is that the, so well, he's now fat. he's beefy? No, well, okay. he's a big fat so. But, it'd be, and he was fairly agile for a fat guy. I mean, he played on the football team and stuff. But there's a difference between being fat and being big boned. No, no, he was fat. I mean, he had the same bone structure I have, but he was a fat so. And he still is. And he's all bent over now with a cane. I mean, you guys, he, do you guys like each other? Do you get along? Well, I mean, we get... A, I remember, I mean, my mother kind of made us kind of get along when in, as adults. But, um, no, we don't really get along. I mean, I see him. I had to go out when there's a crisis or something. I, I don't know. Um, do you, how many but he's an artist. He's an artist. I have I have uh, two brothers, both not well right now, and my the youngest sibling was my sister, who's she's been dead for at least ten years. I think. And did you get along with anybody? Uh, I yeah, I got along for years with my uh, brother Douglas. He he was very much into sport. Great athlete, wonderful athlete, all state football player, and he was a. He broke all my track records. Um, but in later life, we didn't get along. Okay. So you and your brother, Scott, uh, he's also an artist, you said? Well, he is, and he's right now, he's doing, he's very prolific, really. Uh, but he was an art dealer. We, we, we're the opposite of Vincent Van Gogh and his brother, Theo. Uh, Vincent Van Gogh, who is one of the really great, great, great uh, 19th century artist um, who never sold. I'm sure he did under the table, but there's no record of him ever selling a painting in his lifetime. And um, even though he hung around with Lautrec and and uh, Gauguin, those people, I would thought one of those guys might have bought one of his paintings. Um, but Theo, his brother, was a big-time uh, I believe Parisian art dealer, and even with his brother being a big-time art dealer, he tried and tried and tried to sell his brother Vincent's paintings. Now, my brother was a big-time art dealer in New York and then later in Chicago, but never tried to sell any of his brother Bruce's paintings. <laughs> Quite the opposite. In fact, my mother saved all my childhood painting uh, artwork because that was the only thing I got 
in yeah. school. I got all these little ribbons and stuff. It was the only thing because everything else I was, you know, I was, I was really shitty at. It wasn't shitty. I was just so disliked by my teachers and uh, all that. I got no recognition for anything other than being real bad. But my artwork was good. And so I, my mother saved it over the years. It was really kind of cool because I could see, I used these dark lines for, every, I mean, it was a very kind of dark artwork for a kid, especially. Yeah. So my brother, for some reason, about 10 years ago, he got my mom. He said, could I have, um, they referred to me as BC, because Bruce Cameron, my father, was yeah. also Bruce. Um, I want to show somebody in New York his pictures. His kid pictures. Well, that was the last. He just obviously destroyed them. Why? Because he has this unbelievable sibling rivalry, jealousy. So she gave them to him and he destroyed well, she, them? Well, she said, make sure you bring them home. They never came home. So you think he destroyed them? Of course. That sucks. Well, yeah. I mean, that's our relationship. What's your earliest memory of drawing or... Well, from, from ch- very early childhood, I loved to draw. And I was constantly, constantly drawing, and um, yeah, I just, it was something I really enjoyed. Now, yeah, but what's it, your first memory of like? Did you draw horses? A flower? I like to draw horses oh, really? and football players and all, whatever. And um, now, if in the football different football players, who draws football players? I did because I love sports. I draw all the famous sports people. I would just draw whatever the fuck I felt like. Now, if I was in different kind of I mean, my family, you know, I mean, it was after the Depression and nobody had any money to speak of. I mean, in a different world, our parents would probably sent me to art school. Now, my father was very artistic. He could do all kinds of art. He was a good draftsman, but he could also uh, sculpt and do all kinds of stuff. But he was like working six days a week and two nights a week, so he didn't have time for a whole lot of stuff. But... Um, they would have probably sent me to art, you know, some kind of yeah. art school as, as a kid. So, um, but no. And then when I became a jeweler, once I got to be about the age of 12 or 13, then I became a full-fledged juvenile delinquent. And I really didn't have time for much other than just destroying everything in my path, everything in the community, and a reign of terror. Yeah. Okay. On Upper's Grove. That was my main focus so, okay, you're drawing horses and football players. Um, what, like, did you start in high school or after that age to really kind of focus more on something else? No, or? because I was, by the time I got to, uh, to high school, I did take one art class, but, and then I got in trouble there. This just kind of goofy little woman that was the art teacher. She, she was going, she terrible artist, but she was going to take her stuff to the University of Iowa. I guess she went to school there. And so we were left alone. I, I remember I destroyed quite a few of my fellow students' artwork. and I lied. I denied it. But all, you know, everybody, all, all the evidence looked directly at me. So I, I, no, I didn't thrive in that art, art, art environment. Um, but... I was, I, I think the big, when I was 16, my Uncle Hugh was um, involved with, he was lived on the south side with, with my 
my uh, grandmother, who had married my grandfather. She was 16. He was 56. He was a saloon keeper. And uh, so, of course, he had died. Everybody just thought my Uncle Hugh, who was her eldest son, was her husband because they were both old. But he hung around with this group of artists and writers and poets and people like that. And so Hyde he was Park. an influence. Well, he, yeah, yes, he was because he would he would get me. To, he actually taught my mom out of uh, "Don't make BC go to school. Let him take the train down. And I'm going to take him to the Picasso show because I would have never gone in a million years. You know, yeah. if I'm 14, 15 years, or 12. 15. And so I was really fascinated. I remember he also got me to out of school to see the Gauguin show at the Art Institute mm. back in the 50s. And, um, but he, Hyde Park was, he hung around with the salon. And it was at the house of this uh, woman artist named Gertrude Abercrombie. She's got a big painting hanging, yeah. hanging in the Art Institute right do you, now. Don't you have some? I do. Well, yeah. they're all in Tobin's possession right now. Yeah. But yeah, there's I a, remember you talking about her a great life. collection of her stuff, which was my Uncle Hughes, because mm. he was a friend of hers. He hang around over at her salon. And um, so I, he, Hyde Park was back in the 50s. Uh, that was a white flight thing going on there. So my Uncle Hugh... Um, would pay me well, as soon as it went 56 I had I was 16 I had a driver's license he'd pay me to come in drive him to um, Gertrude's uh, place well I couldn't they were all alcoholics I mean everybody there Gertrude was an alcoholic Uncle Hugh wasn't but most of them most of the people there were but they were famous people I mean like I remember Dizzy Gillespie she, Gertrude used to let uh, jazz musicians, because back in the 50s, there was still segregation in Chicago. Yeah. So they'd stay at Gertrude's, uh, oh. Dino Washington, cool. Dizzy Gillespie, Charlie Parker. Those Where does people. she live? She lived at uh, on Dorchester, oh. almost, I think, around 58th or 9th in Dorchester, right by the university. So right by where you are now. Yeah, not far. That's cool. So um, I That's would. Amazing. I yeah. So I would drive. So all these. I mean, Sal Bellow lived across the street. Yeah. He'd come over once in a while. I feel like you're either a Sal Bellow guy or you're a Nelson Algren guy. Uh, well, can't be no, both. It, it's like Cub socks. No, you can you can appreciate. Well, I mean, Bellow was a major asshole, but yeah. you could certainly appreciate his writing. I mean, the guy was a really good writer. It was yeah. an asshole, and then he wouldn't come around because it was a, a, a writer named Jack Conroy. Who wrote a book called *The Dispossessed*? And he lived in Missouri, but he would always come in, and he'd stay at Gertrude's too. And Sal Bello hated him so. If he thought that there was any inkling of Jack Conroy showing up, he would not um, come over to Gertrude's. Um, okay, so so so. Well, let me. I, I'll explain the art okay. part of this. So Gertrude was this really bad drunk, mean, mean, bad drunk. And she would paint. I mean, everybody. What would she drink? I think it was sherry and stuff like oh, that. Oh, yeah. sophisticated. Yeah, well, I don't know how sophisticated it was. I like sherry. But she was. Um, she. The drink ain't bad she either. Had, she had this really great easel in her living room, a little yeah. mat underneath it, and she had a smock on. Now, her husband was Frank Sanderford. Frank. Um, wrote a book called Next Time is for Life because he was a professional burglar. 
and he'd been busted twice. He was in Stateville. So the next time, if he got busted again because of the Habitual Criminal Act, would mean you, you don't get, you can't get out. You're gone. Okay. So he wrote this book about his career as a uh, I feel bur- like burglar. I feel like you're what you're talking about is like the what what time period is this? Nineteen. This was I was fifty six. Fifty six when I was sixteen. I feel like I feel like you're talking about like the way in the twenties it was like Great Gatsby shit. No, no, this is fifty six. Well, I know. I'm just saying, like back in you know you had these famous authors. Having this, who well, Hyde Park, in time, Hyde Park was really right. The, all these creative people doing all this crazy stuff well, they had during the twenties. It was like a salon. But I feel what you're describing is it's like it's a different time period all in a right. different place. Well, that's a stretch. I I, just, I, uh, no, because you're talking about all right. Well, creative people, about. yeah, being nuts and being married to burglars. Well, he but he was a writer too, right? Frank wrote, and so Frank. I mean, I I'm. We never really got the whole connection. Uncle Hugh was a bachelor and clearly gay. But I think my brother Sky claims that uh, Frank told him that he used to have three ways with Gertrude, Uncle Hugh, and Frank. Oh, wow. So it was kind of a wild thing. So, wait, Hugh never said, never obviously made it. Obvious that he was gay. Well, he was fact that he never looked at a woman in this whole goddamn life. And Gertrude was there ever was, a special friend always Gert- hanging around? <clears throat> well, he hung around a lot of gay guys. But he never had like a special friend always I don't, there. I don't ever remember one special gay guy. Oh, there's David, Uncle Hugh's friend again. Yeah, well, um, no, uh, Uncle Hugh. So anyway, I would drive Hugh to uh, to to Gertrude's, and this crazy, and then her best friend was this Miriam Andreas. The uh, Archer uh, Midland Daniels Company. She married the patriarch. Uh, what the fuck was his name? Dwayne, not Dwayne. Dwayne was his brother. Osborne. Osborne Andrews. And she had married him. And she had this beautiful townhouse right over on Oak Street. On Oak Street, right by the lake. If you look up there, that building right on the corner. It's not, I don't think they call it Oak Street once kids on the other side of Michigan. But Gertrude, uh, Miriam had that little townhouse up there. Beautiful fucking place. And um, so she was, uh, yeah, the penthouse. So I would go there. Well, I couldn't drink. I mean, that, that was, I mean, and plus I really wasn't into drinking at 16. But What? But Gertrude. What 16-year-old were you? I was, I, I, I didn't smoke. I didn't drink. I just burned down buildings and shit. I caused I caused trouble. Wow! I didn't. Yeah, I didn't do shit I didn't want to do. I just did destructive stuff I wanted to do. So <laughs> I feel like if you were that kind of kid in any part of the world at any part in time, maybe be like, oh my god, that guy's gonna grow up to be like a serial killer or something. Well, I think I had that potential. <laughs> so um, I would. Um, I, and Gertrude, while everybody is hobnobbing and running around in the rest of the... She had this really neat townhouse. And um, I'd go in and watch her paint. Well, she would. She didn't mind. I couldn't ask her anything because she was really mean. She was mean. So, but I'd watch her. And so I just, I mean, I'm picking up on the... You know, this fascinated me. 
her whole methodology and all that. So um, finally, after she kind of got to know me a little, um, she asked me, because the white flight was going on wildly Mm -hmm. in Hyde Park at the time. So there was every every weekend there was all these great uh, garage sales. Really good stuff because everybody's fleeing, fleeing Hyde Park. And um, I think at that time, I think they'd seriously considered moving the University of Chicago to Skokie at one time, just abandoning that beautiful campus because it's so wild and crazy and dangerous kind of environment right at that time. Um, But cooler heads prevailed and they didn't. So anyway, Gertrude one time said, would I mind coming in? She'd pay me if I drive her around to the garage sales taking place. I'm probably 17, maybe almost 18 at this point. So she would buy pictures, old picture frames, really kind of neat. And I mean, a lot of them had crappy pictures, but she didn't care about the pictures. She wanted the frames. And she loved little weird um, ornaments. And she would get, I mean, she loved like, um, what the fuck was it? Frogs or something. She had all these weird little but she loved that stuff. So I would do that. So then she said, well, maybe I could drive her to the hardware, I mean, to the lumber store. And she would buy sheets of masonite. So eventually she taught me simply so I'd do it. So she didn't have to do it anymore. Here's how she painted She painted on masonite. And she would cut the masonite to fit the old frames. So what she do is she get all these great old frames, then you cut the masonite to fit the frames. And now you're not paying for frames, nothing, a couple bucks, buck, two bucks for old frame. You cut the ma- masonite; it's really cheap. Isn't that made from fiberboard or something? Yeah, something like I think they call it a hardboard too. And so I, I would. She showed me how to do it. I'm not the greatest saw cutter, but neither was she. And um, so she could, then you would sand the masonite, gesso it, sand it, just get it right. And then now you've got a whole bunch of frames ready to go. You don't need to pay for a framer. Canvas, you know, it's, it's, it's not cheap, canvases, especially. And then if you buy pre-hung canvas, what frames are going to fit in? You, you, it's not, it's, these are all frames of different. So anyway, I watched how she did it. I also watched how she undercoated, how she mixed her paint. So she would take um, cerulean blue and burnt umber, mix it, and create all, and then take white, and she could make all these different stages of gray. So when she did her paintings, she would undercoat with that, with the contrast, and then she would go and, and paint. So I just would watch that. So I learned how to do that. She, um, for, from just from the paintings that I know that you have and that I've seen that you have, uh, she does a lot of uh, human figures. Yeah. Her, it's her figures mostly. Yeah, right. Very rarely does she do anything else. So the reason I ask, I say that she is loved doing cats. <laughs> the reason, stuff like the that. reason I say that is because you're talking about watching her and being around her. And it's funny because knowing you and seeing your paintings and watching you paint, your most of your paintings are human figures. 
and there's been many stories that you've told me about going around town to um, uh, flea markets just to pick up frames. No, no this is I learned right? all this from Gertrude and and buying masonite and yes. prepping it well, for I, those frames. Yes. So clearly she was had a well, big no. major impact. Well, on her. she 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 claimed her big influence was Magritte, and she's a surrealist. Hmm. She is. I mean, I could see that. She's a flat out surrealist, and that's not really appealing to me. What what um. What would you say is, aside from her, your big influences or your uh, time period in art that is Well, really Uncle Hugh would take me to the art. I mean, so I started going to the art institute as a young kid. And I, re- I think probably the most, um, I think I was an impressionable period when my Uncle Hugh took me to see the Gauguin show. Mm-hmm. That really, I went, Whoa. That. What was it about Gauguin that made you sort of like I'm not sure. skip a beat? I'm not sure. I don't know. But wow, that really because I, you know, I'd I'd seen you know I'd gone the Arnestoo a lot as a kid, and I'd seen Gauguin, but I never appreciated him until I saw the show. And when I saw that show, it was just holy cow! This hmm. is amazing. This is this is really something. So that inspired you to do what? I don't know if it. it I mean, I oh, well. The next big move was when I moved to Chicago in 61, 62. um, I started, um, I started painting. I mean, because, but what intrigued me was forgery, forging stuff. Did you, before that, did you ever, because I feel like a lot of us will do things because we like to do them. We enjoy them. And maybe the word for that is a hobby, right? But did you ever, did you think that painting for you was just something you enjoyed to do on the side? Or did you think that, like, you were, did you consider yourself an artist? No, I didn't. I, well, what I would do is, um, wherever I moved, and there'd be empty walls, I'd go out by, get a bunch of picture frames, and do my thing, and I'd paint. Now, Unfortunately, a lot of my ex-girlfriends, you know, uh, whether whatever happened to those paintings, because either they destroyed them because they reminded me, or who knows whatever happened what, to them. So you painted the people around you? I, I would paint, no, I'd paint anything. I'd paint uh, people, I'd paint, um, I, I remember I did, when Oswald kill, uh, got killed, I, I painted him, you know. Uh, stuff like that. I um, I've still got some really early stuff hanging over in Hyde Park now. I remember a picture in the newspaper of um, the kids' mental institution in Chicago. I did a painting of it. Painting more. That was a crepe actually. I don't know. I don't know that I had some particular. Uh, but I would just do it until I got enough to fill the wall. Okay. And then I would stop. So '62, you come back to Chicago. Well, no, 61, but I was in town. So, But then I had this girlfriend on the side named Patty White. On the Her, side? Yeah, well, I think I had another girlfriend. You think? Well, I did. So that was <laughs> yeah, anyway. all right. Let's, but let's, Patty was all. called a spade a spade. You had your girlfriend, and then your Patty, side girlfriend Patty, was Patty. Patty. Well, Patty was everybody's side girlfriend. She was cute, though. You wrote, husband, about, you wrote about her. her yeah, in one of your I books. call her Patty White. But yeah. her husband was a very prominent Chicago artist named George Waite. He was an abstract expressionist guy. He won the Chicago Vicinity show one year. Um, and um, he was kind of a big deal. 
I mean, not, not the greatest artist. I still, have, I still have some of his. I hope Toby doesn't get rid of this shit. Some of his um, pastel crepas. But anyway, uh, George. Uh, well, so Patty did these. One of Gertrude's friends was a woman named Julia Tekla, who was another prominent Chicago artist. They were. They used to be in the Fifty Seventh Street Art Fair. Really good, wonderful. I mean, they really had great artists. Thing. It was no fuck the crafts. It was art, really some really good artists. So Julia Tekla was kind of senile when I met her at Gertrude's. And then Gertrude's, oh, Miriam Gertrude's saying, well, Julia's got to go into a home on South Shore. Well, I look at Patty Waite had... Um, it was an artist herself. I said, you know, these really look a lot like Julia Tekla. She said, oh, really? Yeah, I don't know her. I said, yeah, they do. Well, anyway, Patty took off or something. Left me about six or seven of these Julia, of Patty Waits. So I thought, well, you know what? If they were Julia Tekla's, they'd be worth some money. Because she had the gallery right over, I think it was the B.C. Holland Gallery. So I took... Patty's paintings were, were, were unsigned, and I took them to the home over in South Shore where Julia Tekla was. And I said, she was, I, I loved her. She was great. She was really ditzy. I said, you know, Julia, I love your artwork, but, you know, you never signed these. <laughs> and she, oh, I remember these. Come on. Oh, yeah, she said, I remember these. So she signed, I think, all six, seven of them, Julia Tackle, Julia Tackle. <laughs> so, so I thought, well, you know, this is, could be a really good business. Come on bu- to something. This is a good, good business. Maybe I'll do some now. So I, I, but was, it was instructive because you learn, te- you know, t- it's a good yeah. way to teach yourself how to I paint. mean, that's one of the, I think, amazing things about your talent is that if you come to the alehouse, you definitely have a style, right? You will see all of these different um, portraits. You will see these different scenarios of different people, and you know, you know, you painted that. That is certainly a, a Bruce Elliott. But I think that the real, and I'm sorry, I'm kicking myself as I'm actually about to say this. The real genius I think in that's it a proper word. <laughs> is that you are truly able to paint whatever style of art you want to. So if you wanted to paint a Gauguin, you could paint something that looked like a Gauguin. In fact, I want you to paint me something that looks like um, uh, either like a, I don't know, a Frida Kahlo or something. You know, and you could you could produce that. And you produce these things so well that you were able to make a few bucks in the forgery well, world. Well, now, I, before we get carried away here, I will say, yes, I, I'm reasonably good at doing that to, for somebody that's really not that sophisticated. But um, here's how I would do it. I mean, I wasn't making big fucking money uh, by yeah, any chance. Yeah, what was the process? I was, but the process was I would, I would, do, I would do a Lutrec or I would do... Uh, I would do Picasso. I would have do Picasso Blue Period stuff like that. I I would get old. I'd go to the thrift store. I'd get old um, canvases and stuff, so they, it looks old. And um, I'd paint over. But 
And there's the various ways. I, uh, you, if you put varnish on them right after you paint them, because the oil paints take a long time to, um, dry. to dry, so they'll crack if you put varnish on prematurely. Or else you could take an oil painting and take it out the, uh, out the canvas and st- pull it over a table and just keep pressing around the edge of a table. And you can crack it, too. There's stuff like that. I read my, my Bible was Elmir Dohori's uh, fake. Clifford Irving, the guy that, remember the guy that went to jail for the Howard Hughes thing? Clifford, he was a good writer, but he wrote he, he wrote Fake, which was about Elmir Dohori, who was just wonderful, just charming little, great little confidence, art forgery. He was quite good. Too. So that was kind of my Bob, my Bible. So how long did, did you do that for? Oh, I did that. Well, that's a fun, funny story how it ended. But anyway, what I would do is I I had no delusions of grandeur, but I was not going to go into a top gallery like uh, Elmer Dehori did. They spot me as second. But I would what I'd do is I'd, I'd get like three or four or five paintings from, uh, shit paintings from the Salvation Army. And then I'd take my Latrec or my Nolda or my Picasso Blue Period and I'd put it in the middle of this crap. I'd put on some coveralls. I'd go to a high-end antique dealer or a low-end art gallery and I would come in in my this coveralls and stuff. I'd be holding this shit and I'd say um, I was cleaning out someone's garage and she gave me all these pictures and I think they're worth something because they're old so these little prissy little antique dealers or they, they kind of st- stick up their nose and I go and I'd show them a couple of this crap 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 all of a sudden There'd be a little truck in there. You just watch their eyes. Their eyes would pop out of their fucking heads. And then I'd go on to the next one. They went, oh, uh, what, what are we thinking about? I said, well, I says, I'm going to need at least $1,100 to get my truck fixed. Well, um, I would, could you just leave? No, I'm not going to leave them. I, got, I, need, I need to sell these. Well, um, well, perhaps I can write you a check. I don't think they're. So I said, "Oh no, no, I have to have cash." Yeah. My, my guy, the guy who fixes my truck, doesn't take checks. So they run down the street. Getting, so I mean, I wasn't getting any. You know, maybe I make eight hundred bucks, maybe twelve hundred. Nothing, yeah. nothing big. But it certainly kept me in beer money, <laughs> and it was fun. Well, this was the sixties. No, this would have been all the way into the set. Now, here's how it ended. bucks in the 70s get you a lot more than fucking beer. Yeah. No, I was fine. Yeah. Yeah. I think I once once I got 2400 bucks. Whoa. Yeah. In fact... And how much was your rent back then? It was like, how much was my girlfriend's paying for rent? <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you're asking? What an asshole. Um, so you basically had zero expenses, and you were making... Well, it was pretty cheap, yeah. I mean, my, my, my overhead was small. No. <laughs> but um, I, I remember I was going to this flea market out in St. John, Indiana, and I'm walking across the flea market, and I think, wait, like 50 yards away, to a stand, I recognized a Picasso blue period I did, only it had, <laughs> only it had a big rip in it. How do you know... How do, can you always identify what you did, no matter if it was a forgery? Oh, yeah, yeah. How so? Just because I, I know. I mean, yeah, this is not 
is not all attractive to Bruce Elliott. I can tell that. It doesn't take it really, really. So how did you get busted? All right, well, it, I, this guy used to come out to uh, Jackson Park Golf Course. We called him Slime. And he was always trying to hustle a black guy, a white guy. And he was a Jewish guy from the north side. But he'd come out there, and he plays kind of a shit golfer, but he'd get in the games, never, didn't play for much. But he was always selling the black guy's Rolex watches, and he was always thinking, he was an insurance salesman. And um, so there was this guy, Big Dog. And Big Dog, I write about in my uh, book. Big Dog was a, a notorious con man. His, guy, his, name, his real name was Barry Boyd. He played, he was a real good football player in high school. And um, he, played, he was a golf hustler, but he was also a check forger, and he was a this, and he was a that. So I told, Big Dog kept telling me, man, come on, cut me on one of your scams, cut me on one of your scams. So I told him, let's fuck Slime. Slime is fucking everybody else, so we'll hustle him. So I said, I'll do a bunch of Diego Rivera paintings. We'll say, and here's the deal. You, some some gay guy in Detroit, a big dog was from Detroit. Some gay guy in Detroit, um, you were you, you were letting him suck your dick, so one night you grabbed all these paintings because he was an art thief. And so now you got all these Diego Rivera's. So I said, oh, that sounds like a great idea. So I tell Slime, when I'm playing, I see him at the golf course. I says, Big Dog's sitting on about $2 million in fucking paintings from Diego. He swiped them off of some, so they're hot. I says, they're, they might be worth $5 million. I don't know. But they're, they're, they're hot, so you can't do shit with them. Oh, really? But you just got it? I said, yeah. Well, what do you think he'd give up? I said, hey, he'd probably sell for five grand. But, you know, maybe in 10, 20 years, you can start moving this shit. So, um, so slime, slime bites. He said, well, I got to see him. So I do, I whip off all these Diego Rivera's. They were pretty good. So, um. Were they, like, were they just random things you put together in the style of Diego Rivera? Yeah, yeah. I think I, I would copy them, but i make them different than sure. so that you couldn't, you know, just, mm-hmm. but basically, yeah, you could tell they were, I mean, they were clearly Diego Rivera's yeah. by somebody that was reasonably good yeah. copy. So, um, met here. This is where we brought them, right? The Alehouse? The Alehouse. Ale House. And I might have actually been up in this window. So he's there, and he's fucking slime is greedily looking over this shit. So I told, I told, I, I, I told Big Dog, I says, Dog, you're a fucking moron. So this, we got a problem because you're so fucking stupid that you cannot fuck up. You must do exactly what our plan. And I said, after we conclude the deal, you say, well, you know, I've got a whole bunch more of these. That I stole from that guy, and you know, say Max Beckman. You know, mm-hmm. I gave him some names, but nothing. So, so finally, slime going over this shit at five grand. So finally, he says, "All right, 
I'll go to the bank. I'll get the five grand. I'll meet you guys back here. So Big Dog's already spending the money. Oh, man, that's great. This is great. This is fucking easiest money I've ever made in my life. I said, what do you mean easy, motherfucker? I had to paint these fucking paintings. Yeah. It's not easy. Well, so if you sold them for five grand, how did you guys so, split it? Well, we, well, we would split it down the middle. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, it's because I cut them in, and I, I used them. You know, I had to get where they came from. I just thought this would be a good working lesson. Plus, you know, I enjoyed doing Diego Rivers. I had some. <laughs> I already had some. I, I want one, okay? Yeah, sure. All right. Okay. So, um, anyway, he comes back with the five grand. He sits down. He's looking at him, and Big Dog goes, you know, I can get more. He goes, you can? Oh, God. What a you can get more? What kind? Oh, this Max Beckman. Well, here, I'm going to hold off there. I, I'm. He, he says, let me know when you get the other ones. What did you lose? I says, dog, do you realize I told you I could give you the biggest perfect hustle in the world and you would fuck it up? Yeah, but he'll come back. Oh, really? Did you see that five grand walk out the fucking door, fuck face? Did you? Because that fuck, that five, so he goes, oh, God, well, uh, I'll call him. I said, what are you talking about, Jagoff? It was so simple. What, the money was here. All you had to do is keep your big, fat, Polak fucking mouth shut, and we had the five grand. We, we spent the five grand. Oh. Well, then Big Dog gets nailed about six months later for dr selling drugs, which it wasn't his deal. I mean, it was a dumb fucking move. So now he's in pen. So I see, next spring, I see Slime out of the golf course. So I said, Slime, I, no, his name wasn't really Slime, but that's what we referred to him behind his back. I said, you know, you know what's amazing? You know, I said, you know, Dog and I took those paintings, those Diego Rivera's, we took them to, um, to Mexico and sold them to some guy. And I said, um, got 30000 fucking dollars for him. And I said, um, after Dog got his money, so he got, I got 15 Dog got 15 We're in this whorehouse. Dog says, blowjobs for everyone. <laughs> And so Slime is going, you're kidding. You're at this whore. And these were good-looking whores, man. This was really something. We were in, in Guadalajara. It was the most amazing fucking weekend of my life. Yeah. And and Dog, and when we got home, Dog had no money because he was spending all on whores. And, and, and so. so I said, but get this. It turns out. He's got a whole garage his sister's sitting on in um, in Detroit. He says, you're kidding. I said, yeah, we can get more. I'm sure I can work a deal out with his, guy, with his sister. She's just a whole garage full. There's probably $100 million in art in this garage. Oh, yeah, okay. All right, I'm, I'm in, I'm in. So I would be rapidly producing, like every week I'd produce, and he's paying, so I'm getting this cash. Well, I mean, some of I was so sloppy, I'd go, I mean, I was just taking, going to thrift stores, getting, painting over this, I mean, it was just ridiculous. 
and so I take Grace. I remember one time, Gracie's a little girl. So we go over to drop some more art off at Slime's place. He lived over by, um, by the river in some condo. So I, Gracie's a little girl. And so he's looking at, so I was doing these German expressionist shit. And uh, so he says, oh, is this a brack? A brack? And Gracie goes, brack, brack. She corrects him. And so I said, oh, uh, she's, yeah, she's studying art in grammar school. But then one of them actually, the paint's still. Okay. <laughs> he gets it. I go, oh, fuck. I said, oh. Uh, yeah, was under the heat lamp because I was trying to, you know, it was all funky. And he doesn't get suspicious. The fucking paint's fucking wet. So, um, anyway, so I make this guy for about 45, 50 grand. So, one day I'm taking Grace to school. I used to have to walk her to school. So, he, oh, he calls me up in the priest. He apparently had some guy come over to his house and just said, this is the worst pile of shit. <laughs> and because I get a call from some cop, detective, out West yeah. Avenue cop. Yeah. I want to talk to you about. I said, yeah, my lawyer, I gave I this guy named Paul Bradley. He was a criminal lawyer, drank it. I said, uh, my lawyer's name is, you don't want to talk to me? Now here, here's 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 my defense. I had a defense because you always figure something's going to go wrong. Here's my defense. My defense is that who's fucking who? I didn't say this is all a trek when I took it to an antique dealer. I just brought five pictures. Yeah. And this guy, so he's paying me a thousand dollars for a Latrec that's worth like. A million and a half dollars? Who fucked who? Who was fucking who? I didn't tell him it was a Latrec. Now, as far as slime goes, slime is buying hot art from some guy who's he's in jail and his sister in Detroit. So anyway, I, I there was a fallback here of slight, you know, I mean, there's, there's a little wiggle room. So I'm taking, I, Grace and I walk out of our... Oh, condo. She's maybe in fifth grade. And we walk out of the condo. This obviously cop, plainclothes cop cars. Two most obvious plainclothes cops in the history of Chicago get out with that Chicago accent. Hey, Bruce, have a word with you? So I'm holding Gracie by the hand. It's kind of embarrassing, you know. Like, what did yeah. So he says, so Bruce, we recommend in the future you only do Bruce Elliott paintings. <laughs> so I said, absolutely. You have my word. And that was that. That was that. Um, well, you know, you had a good run. Well, it was, it, yeah. Yeah. It was. And, and, and now your bar and, is... Your museum. Well, it has original Bruce Elliott. Well, these are all original Bruce Elliott. So anyway, to fast forward, um, after um, on when uh, Kevin from New Orleans wrote, was it last week? Over a week, about a week and a half ago, he wrote a blog. 
about the man in the red hat. With some like there was this party came in, and somebody was some old guy was wearing oh, a Make Make yeah. America Great hat, and I was sitting down here talking to Kevin, and I said, you know, this is not good. Guys feel comfortable coming in wearing a Make America Great hat. Yeah, I'm, in this I'm, place, I'm, I'm doing something wrong. Plus, the two Trump paintings, uh, satirical Trump paintings, are right. down at this end of the barn. He was at the other end. So I said, you know, I've had an idea in my head for doing uh, Stormy Daniels, President Pissy Face, Melania, and Little Baby Baron painting. It's, it's in my head. And maybe this just is finally... That's a catalyst. Okay, wait. So before you get into that... Um, Let's fill in the gap between you getting busted as a, a painter doing forgery. I didn't get busted. Well, I, I was given a few words to. I was lead su- you given in a the direction. suggestion. Yeah. All right. So uh, you start painting things in the for the ale house. Um, uh, a lot of portraits well, of regular. Yeah, Beatrice. Before Tobin and I got the bar, um, Beatrice was reluctantly. I said, well, I could do some posters and do this and that and, you know, fancy the place up a little. Yeah. So she was willing to go along to a certain point. Yeah. Nothing risque. So, yeah. In fact, if you walk into the bar um, and you go, just look straight ahead toward the other end of the bar, toward the bathrooms, there are a couple of paintings that, probably two of my favorites that... Um, are this uh, like a French style um, poster? Yeah, it's, it's a it's a painting of. They pure dive bar Chicago. Yeah, it's a, a man and a woman um, uh, holding like champagne or wine or something. Uh, it's very just. It's it's just it's a very nice painting. Well, they're all nice except that no, for a square. No, no, for no, a square no, like you. No, no. The other one is a really cool one, and it's very strange. And um, in that, it's it's a it's an interesting trio of Albert Einstein and Greta Garbo, and um, Marlene yeah, Marlene Dietrich, Dietrich uh, which is an interesting trio. Well, that's my favorite painting in here. That should be in the Art Institute. That's really important. I'm not. I'm not you know what? I don't disagree with you. That's the st- that's your style of. Of painting that I think truly defines you, and it's very unique and it's an incredibly beautiful painting. So, those are some of the earliest ones that you didn't hear. Oh yeah, that, that right. They are, oh, they're very because Beatrice wouldn't let me do any of the. Which I appreciate that because you say I'm a square, but I, you know you're you're also do a lot of pornographic, I guess ish. You just gave me two back today. <laughs> Pornographic paintings that show all these body parts and spread legs and fine if you're into that, but I'm not personally into that. So I would rather like the classic style of stuff that you do of the uh, the Old Town Ale House and the Einstein photo, or even the one uh, where it's it's the very rare one where you actually make a cameo in it uh, with Gracie. Oh, uh, that one, but yeah, the old timer. that's, That's probably my favorite. Oh, really? Um, yeah, those are all these beautiful, beautiful, like, classic-style paintings. Um, so those are some of the first. And then you start doing all these portraits 
uh, of folks uh, who've come and gone in the Ale House, many of them who are famous. So you'll have a famous wall above the mural and then everybody else. And then you started doing a lot of political uh, paintings. Well, that was my... I mean, I, the, only, the first political painting I did was in 2008 with Sarah Palin. And then, of course, and little, it went viral. Yeah, but I didn't even know the internet. No, wait. Right. And all of a sudden, I, I, I put it up on a Thursday, and the kids from Second City were taking pictures. And, and then when I opened the bar up on Friday morning, I got a call from someplace in Paris, some paper. Wanted to, I said, How do you even know about it? This is all over Europe. Yeah. And that so went, went crazy. Yeah. Um, and then, so that kind of like was the catalyst for other political paintings. And you did a lot of local stuff with Blagojevich and Jesse Jackson Jr. Um, and then you start, you know, you really kind of focus on more of a national scope. So I think, you know, you've got a couple of Trump ones, of course, and you've got a very famous Putin one up there. And then, of course, your friend Anthony Bourdain. Um, there is one that you did of him in Street Jimmy, and then his portrait, which was more, uh, also of this uh, this year, right after his suicide, um, which has gotten also a lot of attention. Um, well, his girlfriend cutting Harvey Weinstein's throat got a lot of attention. Yeah, too. that was the last one. And so these are all these different paintings that I feel people connect to, obviously, because of the stories, right? So we're all ingrained in this uh, crazy political time, which is one thing. And then the Bourdain hits sort of another aspect of it. But it's something that now people are sort of in here looking for. And you're always motivated to sort of do what's next. And so that leads us to what you're actually painting right now. And I'm always very excited when you're telling me you're painting something because I feel like it's great that you're writing um, because your books are really... You're a great writer, but I feel like the... When you're when you paint, you're also sort of like I don't know, for lack of a better term, you're almost like this different person. I feel like I feel like you're writing. You you love to write and you love to express yourself that way. But I feel the your painting is really who you are. Well, painting is instant gratification because you can see it each day. I mean, writing a pictures worth a thousand words. Writing takes. Um, oh yeah, that's original. Um, <laughs> I'm <laughs> trying to be original. All right, speaking of original, tell everybody what they're going to see very soon. Well, thank, and I think we have to thank Kevin from New Orleans for kind of um, shaming me with his um, blog about the man. Because I said, you know, I'm really slacking off. I got an idea for a great uh, Trump painting, and it's just mulling in my head, and I just can't seem to pull the trigger. So after I read this, and there was the guy in the red hat, you know, Making what am I doing? What am I doing wrong? So then I looked up and down the bar, and I saw where I'm hanging the Bourdain Street Jimmy painting. That I could squeeze one, I could take that one down, and squeeze what my, what I have in my mind. Yeah. So I have been doing pastels because I can do them real quick. But my real true love are doing like I did with Gertrude doing the oil paintings on Masonite. Masonite. Back to and, the Masonite. But it requires you gotta get the fucking Masonite, then you gotta cut it, frame, gesso, sand. Well, so I thought I called Bukovic up, I said I called Bukovic up Thursday last Thursday morning. Well now that would have been the Couple dates Thursdays, are all fucked yeah. up. Anyway. 
I said, where's the closest place I can buy a sheet of masonite from Hyde Park? He said, that, well, there's a place out on 87th Street and State. There's a, a place called Home Depot. A place, yeah. But <laughs> when I was in there, like, you know, I, I mean, on the south side, you know, we're the most segregated city in the country, no doubt about it. But when you're in a whole great big airplane hangar like place like Home Depot, and you look around, you're the only uh, white person there. Yeah. Now, it's it's fine. I mean, same with where I go to get my motor vehicle. But um, you're conscious. You know, oh, I'm I'm the only white person here. So um, I went out. I got a four by a sheet of masonite. I got new blades for my uh, saber saw, uh, for my uh, finishing sander. Got the whole fucking thing. Plus, uh, rock, rock, rock and roll had kept me up till two thirty the previous night, which is fairly common now. And uh, watching TV. So I'm not. My brain's really, but my brain's forced to work if I actually get up and drive. Yeah. Drive. You know. So I'm. I'm. My. I'm, I'm functioning. I'm functioning, and it's like good. I mean, my. I, I'm. I force myself up. I force myself in my car. I force myself to the Home Depot, and. Um, so I come home with my sheet. I got. I cut it. So all then I pull out the finishing sander, and you should see Rock and Roll Ruth run. Just ran, door slamming, closing, bang, 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 bang. Now normally I would take this down the basement on the porch, but no, I'm a man possessed at this point. So I. It's all right. She's got her little room. I've got my friend. Yeah, but who knows what these fiber boards, what chemicals? Well, are I'm breathing them. She's not yeah. breathing them. I'm breathing them. No, she showed. No, she was. She was in full panic. I, I guarantee, during the future, I will do all that shit in the basement or in the porch, back porch. Yeah, back porch. So anyway, so now. What the hell? So now I cut, cut it. I've got the frame, cut it, get the sander out. Gesso it. Start wildly sketching, doing my sketch. Stormy Daniels, Pissy Face, um, Melania, Little Baby Baron. I'm doing sketches. Take them to Walgreens so I have I can pin them right next to my easel. So, so what people don't know is that you you find pictures on the internet of the people you want to paint. And you print them up. Well, you I get, try to get. I try to get a bunch. Right. So I sh- I showed you how to uh, create well, files, sh- upload them to Walgreens website. Well, no, and print you should. Sh- yeah, I showed. Ruth. I don't know how to do it. Yeah. So you so, get them printed up and you put them so, around your can- your your masonite. Yeah, yeah. So I'll do a composite. I'll get. So I can just uh, take um, clamps. So I. So anyway, that was. Let's see, six days ago. Yeah. So now, <laughs> why I've been wildly painting, and um, Stormy is, re- I mean, Stormy's the key, but getting her in the correct pose. So what is actually the scene? The scene is Stormy urinating on the President of the United States with Melania holding little baby bear and walking in the door unbeknownst to Stormy and President Pissy Face with kind of a, a sh- not shocked look but disgusted look little bear 
is more of a surprised look. Looking at, like, you can almost see the little wheels turning in little Baron's head saying, Mommy, why is Aunt Stormy pissing on, or doing pee-pee on Daddy's head? So now, Do you have a name for this painting yet? Golden Showers. All right, Golden Showers. So I think, now if I don't show the stream, I see no reason why this can't go on the internet. Yeah, but it's really great work. Now, I am, I am really impressed because, as we all know, I haven't done any major painting. Well, I, I did the Aja. No, you did Aja Argento. Yeah, but that was, on car, that was oil on cardboard. I can knock right. those off in two days. But, you know, this is a museum piece right here. Okay. This is a big deal. So people can expect to see that. Well, Actually, I, when this airs now, people will see it now. Come into the bar and we'll look oh, at it. Oh, it'll be, yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, come check it out. Well, we'll see. We'll see what the response is. That'll be your is. final gift of 2018. Um, but the, the important thing, I think, that's taking place, because I'm in awe. I sit there... You're in awe of yourself. Yeah. I sit there and say, holy fucking crap. I mean, can you imagine? This just existed in my brain a week ago. And now, look at this. Millions of people are going to be seeing this all over the fucking world. It's amazing. Well, I'm excited that uh, you've got something in the works and it's coming out soon. And people can come enjoy it. Well, I will. What I will do is I will... Uh, when it's all said and done, I will take a photo of it, and I will post it in different places. Well, it'll be all over by the time yeah. this show comes. Yeah. But, um, but I will post it in different places. The, the, the thing... Now, here's, the, here's the, the the interesting thing of this. If I could just somehow keep the momentum going, I can write. If I, I mean, my if I write for more than two, three hours a day, my brain kind of fizzles. But if I could just get the point where I'm going over and I've, you know, because I got to stand up and 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 do the paint, you know, it's there's there's a physical activity involved in, in, in the artwork. If I could somehow combine doing both, because I'm kind of on the home stretches of my Dunbeetle novel, but I would like to keep the painting going. Yeah, I think you need to keep the painting going, but too, because that's as I've said... But that's easier said than done. No, but I know, but as I have said, I feel like painting is very true to who you are, and it keeps it keeps for, I guess, a lot... Oh, right, right, right. telling even, stories is that? No, but it, in a different way. I feel like that's that's who, how you started out, and that's who you really are, is the artistic side of you, which is why we wanted to do a show about just your painting. Um, it just... I, and you know, I don't. I wish I could use a different phrase, but I feel like it keeps your juices flowing. I like that phrase, yeah, but I, um, I don't know exactly whereas, what you have in mind. No, the, what I'm saying is the painting keeps your juices flowing, whereas like the writing, you're you're motivated by it, but not like the painting. No. So whenever I'm, I'm, you tell me you're painting, me, I get me, very excited. Believe me, I'm motivated, but paint. See. Because art is physical, it's physical. Writing is cerebral. Yeah, I agree. And so you wear. So the thing is, you could be all fucked up. You could have a horrible hangover. You can still prepare your, you know, masonite and do yeah. all that physical stuff. 
Whereas with, when you're writing, writing you can't. You, you writing gotta, is your very exhausting gotta, in a different way. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Your brain's got to be working. Agreed. 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 So Even different. when I write your blog, I'm like, oh, I gotta get in this right mind frame. Yes, exactly. Um, well, anyway, I just I'm glad that we had a little history lesson on, on your uh, works of art and your inspiration and and um, you know give a little people a little insight of where you've come from, where you are, and what's coming next. Uh, what else? What's, how can we wrap this up? Because we, we well, wrap it I up. think that Jordan has done yeoman work here, and um, always he's leaving. Where, Jordan, where are you going? No, 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 no! You can't do that. You can't do that. No. But he. All right. Well, um, do you want to uh, say one anything? Last bits about your art. Well, it's. I mean, I think that. Um, I think that um, art historians are going to rue the fucking day that I ever uh, went, dropped my painting and went out to um, the Indiana Dunes and did my landscaping. Well, I can't wait to. Uh, I'm gonna. I've, I've asked you. I love your landscapes. There are a few that I've seen, and you actually gifted me a beautiful picture. A beautiful painting of a tree which is hanging in my living room. Well, you know, I'll tell you something. I, I'm still very mad at Mirka because oh, she's been very mean to me. And Anthony Bourdain asked me to do when we were last together. The last time I saw him, we were at the um, Lily Pond. Right. And Anthony asked me if he, I would do a painting of the Lily. It was a beautiful October day. It was just gorgeous. We're sitting there and we're talking about Roger Ebert. But he was just describing how, how, much, how he thought this really unbelievably beautiful place right behind the yeah. Lincoln Park Zoo. So I did do the lily pond painting for him. And so I was going to give it to him next time he's in town. Well, as we know, Anthony will never be in Chicago again. Yeah. And so I had this really, I mean, with kind of a neat story and all. And I was going, to, because uh, Mirka is just constantly trying to get me to give her paintings, but she, of course, she doesn't want my vagina paintings. So I thought, you know what? Yeah. Mirka has been such a good friend. And I, you know what? I'm going to give her, and she, she, she was on the Anthony Bourdain show with me and all. I'm going to give her the Anthony Bourdain Lily Pond painting. I think it would really, she would really appreciate it. Well, then, when she kind of treated me like dirt, absolutely unconscionable, you know what I did? In an impulsive moment, I gave it to... Dumb moment. I wouldn't say it's a dumb moment, but yeah, anyway, because, yeah, I, gave, because I gave the painting away because um, Chris... Someone you barely know... I did, but you kept pestering me for paintings. Yeah, but what I'm saying is that you... You basically gave away this painting to someone you barely know just to spite someone who you know yes, very well. I did so do stupid. that. I did do that. Now, that's... I, I have just, no remorse. I, I, I do. No, I, I have don't. remorse for you. Well, no, you wanted it. No, I yeah, didn't. I yeah, didn't because yeah, I, did. I... Fuck the lily pond. That's your story with uh, Ebert and Bourdain. I want you to paint me a picture of the North Pond. Fine, I'll do it. I know. But when I... I'm just saying there's remorse for me, for you, because you were so freaking... Just, I'm vindictive. Yeah, stupid. You no. gave it to someone. Who, no, I'm vindictive. You, 
you know you've known I've, for thirty seconds. I feel good about just it. Just to actually. piss somebody else off. I Stupid. feel good about it. Guys are dumb. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, all right. So uh, come to the bar. Check out this new painting. Um, I'm excited to see it. Oh, I'm excited too. I really, um, I think I should really do some posters of this one. I think it's I agree. Going to be I great. actually think you need to print some posters of the Bourdain portrait too. You think so? Yeah. Well, you should talk to Toby. I'll work on it. Right. Oh, and and the last announcement to wrap up the show actually will be that uh, we're doing the Ale House uh, Talent Show on January 27th, Sunday, January 27th. Uh, we'll announce more details about it, but I, it's now official. Now, everybody, the pub crawl Liz is officially in charge of this. Yeah. Uh, and talk a, to Toby. A, Once again, talk to Toby and Timmy. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Uh, but um, I can make the official and, announcement and, of the and dates. And Liz will be master and, of ceremonies. Yeah, mistress. Mistress of ceremonies. Mistress, I mean, mistress. Yeah. Yeah, I will be the mistress of ceremonies. So if you've got a talent, you know how to sing a song, uh, you know how to uh, do an impression. You know how to. And, and we will take a certain amount of comedians, but please don't be. Have some talent, please. We beg you, because the audience tends to get very vicious for really unfunny comics. Yeah. So. Are we going to record this uh, talent show? Of course. Well, no. We we. Fuck we, that. No, that's too. That's too complicated. Well, it, if, you podcast, be, if you want to be podcast, part of this talent show, get your ass here. On talent show can go on for hours, too. Yeah. That, uh, we don't have that sort of, of uh, shit, technology. But we have some amazingly but, talented but people here. But what we here. could do is we could have the winner be a guest on our podcast. So. Well, how do you pick a winner? We pick the winner, I guess. Yeah, dumbass. That's what I'm talking about. The winner of the talent show well, will be a future guest on our sh- podcast. And how do we pick the winner? It's going to be my um, round of applause. Oh. What do you mean? It'll be fan favorite. All right, fine, fine. You're yeah. in charge. You're in charge. I know. You're in charge. I can't believe you're actually saying that. Oh, I don't uh, want to be in charge. <laughs> Gracie used to do it. Gracie was really good, too. Um, all right, so yeah, say the date. Sunday, January 27th. We'll share more details on an upcoming show, a couple of upcoming shows, uh, but that's what's going on. Art and talent shows. Um, Ruth, thanks for grabbing us drinks as always. Jordan, you're a star. He's uh, my a, hero. He's a true, he, no, he's not, you know, he's not just a star, he's a total constellation. And his dog is uh, getting better. It's become more and more behavior. <laughs> that's good, that's good. Um, this is the last show of 2018. Holy smokes. Whole Where year. did it go? Where, Where did, did the year go? go? You know what? Fuck 2018. For the most part, it kind of sucked for me, but it was it had no, its moments no, you of got glory. Rid, you got rid of a big pile of fucking steaming shit, and you've got this really little golden girl named Lily, and you're the luckiest girl right, well, I know. I don't I'm very know anybody lucky. Many, many so you're so you're so 2018 was great. It was a good year, I guess, in hindsight. But yes, uh, I'm a very fortunate person, as all of us are. Uh, because we get to sit in this bar every week and talk about important shit. Stuff. Nothing. I say nothing. Important stuff. Anyway, uh, thank you all so much for a great year of podcasts, for sticking it out with us. Um, we appreciate your loyalty to the show. Uh, Rock and Roll Ruth wants to say something. 
And downtown Patty, if you're listening, we miss you tremendously. We love you. and hope you're we, doing well. Yeah, we hope you are. If you're in the asylum, we can get you out. We know people. We got a guy. Uh, we will all catch you next year. Happy New Year. Say goodnight, genius. Goodnight, genius. <laughs>